News Network. If today were a science fiction movie, you'd be shaking your head at the news. Today, Huxley reads like a prophecy. Orwell's saying, I told you so's from the grave. And the ghost of Ayn Rand weeps in the dark. None of it makes any sense. Well, the people have had it. Now, before you reach for revolution, take a deep breath and put in a few moments identifying fact from science fiction. And for that clarity, you need the truth. You need TNN. The Truth News Network. And Dan Newman. To that end. Let me ask you this. Have you heart started yet telling your friends, I told you so? <laughs> you can't help but tell them, look, we told you what the left was going to do. We told you how they were going to pile on Donald Trump, how intimidated and afraid of him they are, and they don't want him. They don't want any conservative. I mean, you look at the slate of conservatives that have already announced and are already running for president besides Donald Trump. A lot of conservatives, a lot of people that think conservatively. And let me say this, if Trump, for whatever reasons, he doesn't get reelected, something happens with these indictments that keep piling up and he gets sent to prison or whatever, if anything like that happens, and for any reason, if he doesn't make it, anybody on the slate on the Republican side will be better than the other side's option. I can bet you, and I will bet you, that's the case. Good morning, everybody, and welcome to a brand new week. Here we are in the midst of the dog days of summer. We've already gotten started with that. That's not supposed to happen. Supposed to stay kind of mild, you know, so we can go to the beach and not worry about getting sunburned and sweaty. We've got some things to dig into today that will blow your mind. And we're going to get started after this.
call that song I just played for you, Dad, that's elevator music. Nobody likes to listen to that. Let me just say this. It's not elevator music. It's one of those I promised you bet. I'll bet you that if you're truthful, you'll you'll tell me you tapped your toe or you whistled a little bit while you were hearing that. Let me tell you something else. You're going to be glad we started the show with that today because it gets deep, it gets heavy, and it gets heavy very quickly today. We have some of the most egregious, unsettling information to bring to you that I've ever heard. Now, it's a different kind of stuff, of bad stuff, that Steve Baker began to break it down for us this week. If you're with us on the show on Friday, he gave us the edge of what's coming up in the big, big, big dilemma that we told you was about to face our government regarding everything January 6th. This is something totally different from that, but it has to do with something and some bodies that are the most important people in our lives. And who might that be? Our babies, our children. It's going to blow your mind. But of course, we have a lot of strange things going on in our government. The Biden administration, just when you think things might calm down a bit, President Biden and our others in his administration, they just go do crazy stuff. I mean, absolutely crazy stuff. We're going to get into that, and you're going to hear something that is going to blow your mind when it comes to transgender sex change surgery. It's sad, but it's real. And here's what we're going to do today. I'll just tell you now. Published a story. It went live this morning early at truthnewsnet.org. And I troubled with publishing this story for weeks. And the reason why I struggled was because it's so vile and it's so horrible to even think about Because it deals with our children, I felt like we needed to go into it. So if you haven't read it, I'm going to actually, I'm going to bring that story to you in just a few minutes. And that falls in line with uh, what came out, what we saw came out this past week. We saw it over the weekend, the new movie. It's the number three movie in the nation. And it's about our children, the sound of freedom. If you're listening in Northwest Louisiana, it leaves, it finishes here on Wednesday, and it's tough to get tickets. Most or many of the uh, shows that they're having, and they're doing multiple ones during the day at both of our big theaters, they're sold out. So you better get tickets before you miss it. It will answer a lot of your questions. It'll give you some new questions to ask. And we'll get into all of that in just a few minutes when I bring that story to you that went live this morning. But let's start on kind of a positive note. How about let's do that? Over the weekend, Donald Trump back in the spotlight, a big hit with a crowd in Las Vegas Saturday night. He sat ringside at the Ultimate Fighting Championship, UFC, 290 fight at the T-Mobile Arena just off the Vegas Strip. He got huge cheers from the audience at the packed house crowd. I mean, they love the Trumpster. Not everybody that uh, is a UFC fan is a conservative. 
but a lot of UFC fans are. And that place was sold out, packed out, and everybody wanted a picture with the former president. Now, does any of that mean anything when it comes to politics and elections? I think it does. Normally, if I was being impartial or if this was where you have to weigh equally on the left and the right, I would have to say, but you know, whoever ends up representing the Democrat Party, they're going to have the same kind of response. I'll give you a little fact bomb right here. President Biden doesn't have a formal campaign headquarters office. He hasn't started hiring a complete campaign staff. And the contributions to his campaign are anemic. What does that mean? I don't have an answer. But I do know the Democrat Party is not electrified for another four years of Joe Biden. I'm one of many now, and I've, I've, I've predicted this even before he became president, before he took the oath of office. I predicted he wouldn't make it, that he would not be the Democrat Party that will run in 2024. He won't be their representative for the presidency. I still believe that, and I believe it more now than I ever did. So there's something amiss there. And I think everybody is realizing it. And so Democrats are scrambling. They're now very publicly talking about who might be the replacements, who would replace Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, because they're not interested in Kamala Harris running again with Joe Biden if he did run, because they see now what a dismal presidency we would have, because all of us know if Joe should get elected, reelected, and should he run, he will not make it four more years. He just will not. At some point, something medical would happen or he would, and I'm struggling to get the right word, as a good gesture to the American people, step aside. Constitutionally, who replaces any president that would step aside or leaves office for any reason, the vice president steps up. Democrats don't even want that to be Kamala Harris. So there are a lot of things that are going on that are unsettling for the Democrat Party. And every bit of bad news that comes out, and it comes out, as you know, over and over and over, every day we get more and more and more of the bad news, the latest, maybe not even the latest now, is the cocaine, cocaine gate, cocaine Biden gate. It's another conundrum for President Biden. Cocaine in the White House doesn't happen very often, and it certainly shouldn't make everybody stand up and pay attention. Now, I'm going to play a little soundbite here from some people at CNN. They're actually making fun of anybody that has any problem with there being cocaine in the White House. You can't make this up. Listen to this. Watch the way CNN covered this, the way they're joking about this. And again, just contrast that to imagine if Donald Trump Jr. was a crackhead and they found crack or coke or whatever at the White House when Trump was president. Take a look at this. 
They're learning that it is indeed cocaine. Now, again, this is part of an ongoing investigation. We're trying to get more from the Secret Service as, again, how this got into the White House and who brought it in. All of those questions still lingering. But at the very least, those lab tests are now in. The field test said cocaine. Yeah. Now these more conclusive lab tests, yeah. I would like to know blow by blow who was responsible for this. Exactly. <laughs> too soon. <laughs> there is no too soon. On no, this. Too soon? no one was injured as far as Thank we know. Kate. And it's an illicit drug at the White House. <laughs> Why can't you actually have a bit of fun with it? I don't believe in fun. No, he doesn't. Thank you so much. That is a CNN daytime anchor basically telling people to do cocaine if you want to have a little bit of fun. I mean, the carrying water here, Barnes, like, oh, my God. Yeah, it, it's absolutely to another level. And it's because they all know. I mean, the, the for those that don't know, the only people who don't get searched in going into the White House are our family. So the that's why they know that this wasn't searched. Uh, mm -hmm. Secret Service won't fall on their sword for this. And so the net effect of it is that everybody knows it's Hunter's. And, of course, they know Hunter's habits and Hunter's history. And there's you know, documentary visual evidence effectively by what we saw there. So everybody knows. And the question is, do they all have to hide? Do they all have to pretend? And it's really, it, like I said, they, they keep showing the naked emperor over and over and mm -hmm. over again. And rather than hiding him behind the curtain, they're just demanding everybody look and pretend he's not naked. Viva, one more conspiracy theory for you. It's actually not Hunter Biden's. It's Joe's, and they have him do a little bump so he appears slightly cogent when they send him out there. What do you think? Uh, it, the bottom line is it, it ultimately doesn't matter whose it actually is, but that they say they can't determine it, it's yeah. laughable on its face. And they're, ta they're treating people like they're idiots or that they have so much power they can lie to them and treat them like idiots, and there's nothing you can do about it. Um, but uh, we all have our strong suspicions. Uh, uh, just to compare and contrast, Everything, everything they have accused Trump and his family of having done or doing is exactly what Biden and his family have, in fact, done and continue to do. From the quid pro quo extortion of foreign interests to yep. the actual PP, you know, the, the, the strange hooker stuff. I haven't looked at Hunter's laptop uh, in its entirety. I'm, I'm scared to. Um, everything they've accused Trump and his family of doing is exactly what Biden and his family have been doing. And I agree with Barnes. These two kids, you know, Ashley Biden leaving her diary at a halfway house, Hunter Biden leaving, abandoning his computer at a, at a store. It's a cry for help or they have such deep hatred for their own father. They're trying to take him down. But, try, you know, Biden and his uh, his entourage won't let it happen. But that's that's a little Freudian um, Freudian analysis there. One, one addendum. Uh, I don't think Zelensky was probably real happy to have his photo next to that story, given <laughs> his own particular interesting habits, shall we say. Well, but yeah, exactly. Zelensky's doing a lot of this, too. So it really yeah. does make you wonder. Oh, my gosh. By the way, Dan Bongino made it very clear. He is a former Secret Service agent, and he was assigned to the White House. He said very plainly, there is no way that anybody would get into the White House with cocaine unless it was a member of the presidential family party. They're the only people that don't go through that exhaustive screening. And he took it one step further. He said what else is factually impossible is for the Secret Service to not know whose cocaine that is. And let CNN and the other sycophants laugh about it. Oh, why are they even worried? Everybody knows. Okay, if everybody knows, he's a multiple offender. 
Everybody knows that. It's common knowledge. I mean, there, there are all kinds of materials, reams of pictures, and that laptop of Hunter Biden, that there are still some that say it really wasn't his. But it was. The FBI admitted it. The New York Times admitted it. And if the Times admits it, we know it's fact, right? This is a guy that is making using illegal drugs okay to do in the White House. And, of course, I'm assuming, as those people, those announcers you just heard, assumed that it was certainly Hunter and everybody knows it. (laughs) Here's the most important thing. It's a crime. It's a crime. Illegal use of cocaine anywhere is a crime. That being at the White House, I don't know the federal statute, but I'm positive it's a felony. Do you think we'll ever know the answer to that? Oh, yeah, right. We'll know two hours, no, maybe two days after we find out who really leaked the Dobbs decision before the U.S. Supreme Court came out and they overturned Roe v. Wade. Oh, we just can't find out who did it. We knew all along who did it. It was one of the leftist justices that knew it was going to be overturned. They wanted to create chaos in the media and also in the left, which worked, absolutely worked amazingly well. In fact, I thought it might even change the final votes, but we understand it didn't, thank God. It's politicization. That's all this is. Democracy, representative republic, none of that works when nobody wants to adhere to the rule of law. The law is supposed to be good enough for all of us. Oh, the left, when Donald Trump was in office every day, I heard somebody get on television, usually it was Nancy Pelosi at least once a week, talking about Donald Trump, nobody's above the law, not even the President of the United States. Well, unless the President of the United States or a member of his family happens to be Democrat. That's just the way it works, isn't it? And speaking of President Joe Biden... This Ukraine deal, this whole thing, it's spiraling out of control. And what I'm talking about is what we as the United States are doing. Nobody, think about this, No, not one of our partners in NATO is doing even a scintilla percentage of what we are at supporting Ukraine's fight against Russia. Now, one would think, if you look at the geography and if you look at the history and you look at the nations, Europe, United States, European continent, and North America, does it dawn on anybody over here that, yeah, they're our allies, Ukraine was, and is, and we want them to do well, But what we, as the United States did years ago, we helped put together this thing called the North Atlantic Treaty Organization. Now, even though 
We just have a little bitty stretch of land that borders on the North Atlantic, and it really doesn't. That would be the coast of Maine. But just because we want to make sure that we have a little say-so in what happens, at least in military and social and economic things, in some of the nations in Europe, we join NATO. And when we join, when NATO was created, there were rules in place about what each country was going to pay to support NATO. And what they're supposed to pay is a percentage of their GDP, gross domestic product. One country in NATO history has done it consistently, only one. Germany's not at that one. The United Kingdom is not one. France is not one. Italy's not one. The only country that has paid the requisite percentage to support NATO. When I say support NATO, have you seen the NATO buildings in Belgium? Oh my gosh, it costs billions of dollars. And they have offices all over Europe and equipment and they keep troops there and military bases and military equipment. And the United States pays more than 80% of the bill. But Joe Biden, he just decided to open up the United States wallet and just start every week or so pushing out money, giving more and more money, military equipment, hundreds, probably $200 billion now, maybe not 200 but it's well over $100 billion in support now. A bunch of that was in cash, and Dunstan Teo came on this show and told us factually a huge portion of the first part of the big chunk of cash that went. It went as Bitcoin, and the Bitcoin that went to Ukraine went through the FTX exchange, and then a bunch of the money that was earmarked to go to Ukraine for the war, it went elsewhere. Nobody's talking about that. And it was a factual statement by a guy who knows the number one owner of Bitcoin on the earth, Dunstan Teo, on this show. What's got Joe Biden hooked in Ukraine? Joe Biden never had anything to do with Ukraine. He has no ties to Ukraine, no obligation. Oh, wait a minute. I forgot. I forgot. When Barack Obama was president, Joe Biden was vice president. For whatever reason or reasons, though Joe Biden knew nothing about Ukraine, Barack Obama made Joe the point man to take care of all things Ukraine. And so Joe started going over there all the time, making trips. And he started taking Hunter with him on Air Force Two. Lo and behold, all of a sudden, Hunter gets a seat on the most corrupt European country there is, a company in Ukraine, Burisma Holdings. It's a huge natural gas trading and uh, resourcing company. It's the most corrupt company in Europe, known for that for decades. He gets a seat on it, and he makes 
$83,333 a month. If you do the math, that's a million dollars a year. For doing nothing but sitting on a board, he had no expertise, no knowledge, no history, knew nothing about oil and gas at all. And he gets $83,333.333. How does that happen? Well, then Joe, all of a sudden he got hot because the former chief prosecutor of Ukraine opened up a criminal case against Burisma, Hunter Biden's company. And Joe goes over there and he makes it very clear to the former president of Ukraine, if you don't fire Viktor Shokin, that prosecutor, that billion-dollar loan guarantee that I am brought, brought over here ready to go to give to you so you can borrow money for Ukraine, that $1 billion, you ain't going to get it. In fact, Joe doubled down on it, he said, and he bragged about it on a video. You've heard that here at TNN Live several times. He's speaking before a group when he comes back and sitting in a chair. It's almost like you drink a couple of beers with your buddies and you start bragging about everything. Yeah, I played baseball when I was in high school. I had a chance to go to the pros, but I wanted to get my education. I remember I hit seven home runs in one game. Everybody just looks at you. Joe's bragging. Yeah, I was there with Victor Shokin, who was... He was investigating illegally. He was doing bad things to the Barisma Holdings, the son, my uh, the company my son works for, and it wasn't a good investigation. They're just trying to stir up something and shake a tree to get something off of it. Now I'm paraphrasing; those weren't the exact words he used, but he said. So I told the president, "If you don't fire that corrupt prosecutor, Victor Shokin." You're not going to get that billion-dollar loan guarantee. In fact, I'm flying out of here this afternoon, and if he's not fired before I go, you're not getting it at all. And the president said, well, you're not the president. Barack Obama's the president. Joe said, I told him, call Barack. Everybody laughed. And then Joe said, well, guess what, son of a bee? He fired the prosecutor bragging about what he did. So there's a tie or two there. There's some understanding there. How much in reality of all of the support the United States has given to Ukraine, how much of it was legitimate? How much of it got on the battlefield? That's the only important thing. And to throw some water on any thoughts that you may have that it will be, everything will be cool when they find out about it. Nobody's audited one dime of the support money nor the military hardware and munitions that we sent. Nobody's audited it. We don't have a clue. And he continues to give them stuff. The latest, it's really got hair on fire around the world. The U.K. and Spain have gone crazy. They've called on Biden because Joe Biden announced over the weekend he's sending cluster bombs to Ukraine. Ukraine marked over 500 days since they were invaded by Russian forces. They've got all kind of challenges. 
that have been levied against the war strategy of the Biden administration because of this from its allies in NATO and Europe. Both the British and the Spanish now are urging D.C. to back down from that pledge to send those cluster bombs into the conflict. We don't use them anymore here. Both countries are signatories of the International Convention on Cluster Munitions. They are so onerous, so nasty, are these cluster bombs. Everybody said, look, it's inhumane. We've got to stop doing it, and we signed on it. It prohibits the use, the manufacturing, the stockpiling, or the transfer of the cluster munitions weapons type. However, key holdouts of the treaty are you and me, yep, United States, Ukraine, and Russia. Now, we don't use them. We haven't used them here, but we didn't sign the agreement. Cluster munitions are banned by over 100 countries. They're a type of a rocket, bomb, missile, other projectiles that they explode midair to rain down on a really wide area. And they have a very high risk of failure, which leads often to them landing on ground only to explode at a later time, sometimes even years later. Think about that. Biden justified his very difficult decision to send the weapons to Ukraine as the country is running out of ammunition and the U.S. is running low on the 155-millimeter artillery shells to resupply the Ukrainian forces. Where's Germany? Where's the U.K.? Where's Italy? Where's France? There's a bunch of other countries in the NATO beside us, and they all have militaries. Therefore, Biden said the U.S. would provide cluster munitions for a transition period. Which, what, what, what would that be? From here to the end of the war? <laughs> That's a transition. And he claimed that they will not be used in civilian areas, but merely to break through the entrenched positions of the Russian forces. Did you know the entrenched positions of the Russian forces are all around people, civilians? So this explanation did very little in the way of assuaging NATO allies in London and Madrid. Both governments asked the Democrat administration to back down. British Prime Minister Sunak, speaking to reporters Saturday, said per the BBC that the UK is a signatory to convention which prohibits the production of the use of cluster bombs and discourages their use. We will continue to do our part to support Ukraine against Russia's illegal and unprovoked invasion, but we've done that by providing heavy battle tanks and most recently long-range weapons and hopefully all countries can continue to support Ukraine, he said. Now, Vladimir Zelensky, he's a hawk, folks. He is all in. He's going nonstop, 24-7, to do anything, whatever it takes. I don't mind getting embarrassed by calling my fellow countrymen and leaders at other countries around the world and begging them for money and weapons. I think he's getting on somebody's nerve. I really do. There are a lot of people that are saying, wait a minute, this guy, he just not, he's not a real leader. At the beginning of this thing, we thought he was the next Winston Churchill. But more and more, he sounds like a guy that's just desperate to save his own skin. 
Spanish defense minister Margarita Robles said the decision to send cluster musicians to Ukraine is a unilateral decision taken by Biden, not one agreed to by NATO, of which Spain's a member. Spain, based on the firm commitment it has with Ukraine, also has a firm commitment that certain weapons and bombs cannot be delivered under any circumstances. This is the Spanish defense minister saying that. No to cluster bombs and yes to the legitimate defense of Ukraine, which we understand should not be carried out with cluster bombs. You know why I think Biden did it? I think he did it because our military is running out of ammo. Nobody wants to talk about that. We do know, we have been told, it slipped from a few generals' mouths in committee hearings that we're running low on resupplying some of our munitions because of what we are doing in Ukraine. Now, I heard that. Now, you've heard that. Do you think Xi Jinping and Vladimir Putin heard it too? Just saying. Hi guys, this is the Chevy Silverado with the world's first invisible trailer. Invisible trailer? And it's not the trailer right next to us? This guy? You don't believe me? Hop in. Good looking pickup, I will say oh, that. Wow. Silverado offers an optional technology package with up to 15 different views, including one enhanced view that makes your trailer appear invisible. Wow. That's pretty That's sweet. That's cool. Oh. That's awesome. Where's the trailer though? <laughs> I love it. It's magic. <laughs> okay, okay. I can't believe it. I've been playing 4 on 4 with a barbershop quartet. Bum, 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 bum. Pass the ball. Pass the rock. We're open. Just pass the ball. Nah, I can't believe how easy it was to save hundreds of dollars on my car insurance with Geico. Yeah. Shoot the Shoot the Believe it. Geico could save you 15% or more on car insurance. For more unbelievable Geico videos, give subscribe a click. This is the sound of regular water droplets. This is the sound of vitamin water droplets. Regular water. Vitamin water. Regular water. Vitamin water. Hey, come on now. Vitamin water. It has vitamins, but also parties. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Deal with the experts. Scaffolding, rental, and setup. Installation of truck racks, Lear truck caps, tonneau covers, and van shelving. Bulb protection. Ladder and scaffold training and inspections. Little giant ladders. Custom access ladders and guardrails for commercial buildings. American Ladders and Scaffolds. Delivery everywhere, every day. CBS, NBC, ABC, MSNBC, CNN. An alphabet soup of lies, myths, and disinformation. For real nutrition, you need a full plate of truth. TNN, the Truth News Network. I got a lot of hackles raised bringing up the, uh, is Vladimir Putin or Xi Jinping are there listening? They're not listening to the show. I know we we did. We had a large group of people that listened to TNN Live from Russia. 
And uh, it, it came from the University of Moscow. We had a group of 600 students in the International Department uh, of, um, what is it called? Anyway, of media, International Media Studies. The head of that department picked one conservative podcast in the U.S. and one leftist podcast that was required reading and listening in his classes. And for some reason, I don't know how it happened, but he chose TNN Live. We found out by some questions that we were getting from email addresses from Russia. And so I asked, somebody asked a question in an email, and I replied, answered her question. It was a young lady. And uh, I said, by the way, we've been getting a bunch of emails and subscriptions, people joining to subscribe to get all of our materials and stuff. And those email addresses end in .yandex or .ru, not the typical .com, .net. Do you know what those are about? She said, yeah. And she told me the story about she's in that uh, division at University of Moscow and what they'd been doing. And they were one class, one of those classes was listening to one of our shows one time a week. The day that the Ukrainian invasion started, the day Russia went into Ukraine, every one of those emails were turned off. Nobody from Russia is able to read our stories or listen to what we're doing here right now. So that's why I say maybe Vladimir's in a roundabout way got somebody that's monitoring uh, conservative media here in the United States, which we would fall into that category. And we're probably on his radar screen because of what happened before. And uh, Mr. President, if you're listening today, I want to tell you, you have a great day. Get out of Ukraine. Please, just get out of Ukraine. And we're still better than you. (laughs) I said that because I know he's not listening. Speaking of um, Joe Biden and our foreign policy there, You know, he's got a little problem with Israel. He always has. Benjamin Netanyahu, to almost every one of our other presidents, with the exception of the previous one before Trump, that would be Biden's old boss, Barack Obama, he didn't like Netanyahu. And Joe Biden apparently doesn't either. President Biden doubled down on his refusal to invite Netanyahu to pay a customary visit to the White House. I mean, he lets every other leader come gladly, but not Netanyahu, the prime minister of Israel. Oh, by the way, you know, Israel is our number one ally in the Middle East, and it's a fellow Democrat country. And so here's the president of the United States not inviting the leader of that country which is our number one ally in the Middle East, which we kind of need at least one there, don't you think? And also, he's the prime minister of a Democrat nation, the only one in the Middle East. Won't let him come to the White House? Biden said way back in March he wasn't going to invite Netanyahu to the White House because of his government's attempt to reform Israel's powerful judiciary. Reforms that largely parallel existing practice in the United States. 
So in an interview with CNN's Fareed Zakaria on uh, Sunday, Biden said that he would not invite Netanyahu until he could work through his existing problems in terms of his coalition. Biden said some of the Benny Netanyahu's coalition partners were the most extreme members of cabinet that I've seen since meeting Prime Minister Golda Meir in the early 70s, whom he noted was not an extremist. And just one little note there, Joe Biden didn't meet Golda Meir in the 70s. He wasn't in Congress when she was the premier of Israel, but he bragged about it. I I know, I know. Our president would never tell a story. Oh my gosh, he wouldn't do that. Biden met quickly with both prime ministers from the last coalition government, which included an Arab party regarded as extremist by pretty much every Israeli Jew because it denies the right of the state of Israel to even exist. Biden met with them in the White House. President described himself on CNN as a, quote, unyielding supporter of Israel and added that some of the problems in the region were the fault of the Palestinian Authority leaders, who he said created a vacuum for extremism. But he said that he opposed members of Netanyahu's cabinet who believe that Jews can settle anywhere we want in the historic territories of Judea and Samaria, captured from Jordan in a defensive war in 1967. Some portions of those territories are administered by the Palestinian Authority today, and the area is still disputed between the two sides. I was there in February of this year. I was on the West Bank. I was in that part of Israel shortly. In fact, the next week after we left, there was an attack in the West Bank by Palestinian rebels, and Israeli citizens were killed. So that's okay with Joe Biden. But just because you're Israel, just because you're Israeli, just because you're Jewish, and just because you're the prime minister, you can't come to the White House. But he lets all the other hardcore leftist Muslim leaders that hate Israel and refuse to even admit that it has a right to exist as a nation, that leader, those Palestinians, Jordanians, they get to come but not Netanyahu. Just pointing out a few things. We've got an election coming up next year. I want you to keep these things on the back burner. During this week's broadcast of the Sunday Morning Futures show yesterday, Newt Gingrich called the Biden administration dangerous. Listen to this. This is Newt, former House Speaker. He called the Biden administration dangerous to the country's survival. According to the former speaker, Joe is acting as an enormous asset for Chinese communism. Now this, even for Newt Gingrich, is out there. Newt, let me get your take on the field. That's Maria Bartiromo. She was hosting the show today, yesterday. Who has what it takes in 2024 to deal with communist China? And what do you think this meeting with Janet Yellen tells us? I mean, the Biden administration is either corrupt or lives in a fantasy land, Gingrich replied. In either case, it's dangerous to the U.S. If Yellen actually believes what she's saying, she's in a total fantasy land. And when I watch, for example, the Secretary of State, 
who'd been paid, I think, over a million dollars a year by the University of Pennsylvania with money, which I am pretty sure came directly from communist China. I'm not particularly reassured. Did you know Antony Blinken did that? He got over a million dollars a year, University of Penn. And Joe got the Chinese Communist Party to send millions of dollars in grants to the University of Penn when Joe opened his Penn Biden Center on campus there. But that all, yeah, that's, yeah, that, that's nothing. That was just accidental. They wanted to help the University of Pennsylvania out. Those Chinese communists did. Gingrich continued, so I think whether it's on a fantasy front or a corruption front, the Biden administration is enormously dangerous to the survival of America and an enormous asset in the creation of a Chinese communist dominant system. I think it's enormously, enormously, I'll get it right, enormously difficult to trust our government because of the Chinese communist government. So what are we supposed to think? Come on, you tell me. What are we supposed to think? So you just heard Newt Gingrich, and he he weighed in on what he thought about the Biden administration. Victor Davis Hanson, who is one of my heroes, he's still... Out in California, I don't know why he's been at Stanford as long as he has, but he's in that uh, that think tank out there, and he is the conservative or one of the conservative voices there. He weighed in on what he thinks about all the stuff that Joe Biden's doing. You have followed presidential administrations for many decades. I'm curious, as you put this into perspective, have you ever seen someone in power or someone's family in power really behave with such impunity? No, I haven't. I mean, we had Donald Nixon, we had Roger Clinton, we had Billy Carter, but the public and the president in the office knew the problem, so they didn't bring them into the White House. And this is unusual, it's the first time. And, you know, I don't want to pass judgment until I have all the facts, but you would think, given the fact that Hunter Biden has lost a firearm, that he illegally registered, or that he left a crack pipe in a car that he rented, or he's lost two or three laptops, you would think that this White House would go on any uh, level of transparency to dispel any suspicion, and yet they can't get the date right. They say that he was not there Friday. We know he was. They say that they're going to invoke the Hatch Act, which is absolutely ridiculous. Cocaine has nothing to do with politics and government service. And so all they have to do, as you pointed out, was say, no, no Biden family member had cocaine, and they won't do that. And so all they do is increase the suspicion. And then this story, Will, becomes a force multiplier of the loof narrative of the whistleblowers from the IRS, of the FBI subpoenaed documents in front of Congress about the $10 million payoff. And at some point, they're like the proverbial camel uh, straws on a camel's back. They become too burdensome. You can't just deal with them and they're starting to do that now and they give a picture of a corrupt family and a son that's totally out of control and he belongs somewhere but anywhere but not in the white house he just can't be in the white house and that poses the question why is he there 
Is, he, is Joe Biden afraid that he'll go and talk about the family business or his own problems and implicate? It's a very strange relationship between father and son, and it's not a, a narrative of familial or father love, fatherly love. It's something very strange because we've never seen problematic members of a presidential family showcased and in the center of the power of the United States government. Yeah, and Victor, to me, the story actually, while it's fun to talk about, isn't so much about some lost cocaine. It's about a family that acts with impunity. And then quite even larger than that, a political movement that almost inevitably, Victor, is guilty of the sins of which they accuse of others. This is like everything they ever accused or implied was the Trump's actually, in reality, is the Biden's. Yeah, it's the art of, it's the classic case of projection. When Joe Biden tours the country and lectures the Americans that they have to pay their fair share, then that poses the question, how do you account for the lavish lifestyles of the Bidens versus the amount of taxes that were reported? They don't match, so don't lecture us about that. And when you talk about duty and responsibility, then everybody has to be equal under the law. This is a question of equality under the law. We saw it with Hunter Biden and his tax exposure. We saw it with his failure to register as a government agency. And we don't get the normal questions that would apply to anybody else in the White House. And everybody finally gets to the point where, why don't the Bidens just follow the law like every other American citizen? And the fact that they don't, and then they lecture everybody about uh, their purported sins is just too much to take. And the fact that the reporters now are starting to, the first time in this administration, ask questions suggest, I think, Will, that the left and the Democratic Party is starting to see this family as a liability. And you lay out one more protection there, Victor, which is they constantly scream, no one is above the law. We have one quite obvious example that that is not the case. The Bidens are above the law. Victor Davis Hanson, thank you so much. Do you remember how many times I've told you since the show began, for those of you that had been here from the beginning, we're in our fourth season. Anytime you hear anybody or see anybody on the left screaming about something specific, kind of like somebody standing and screaming at you, waving their arms or whatever, I told you whatever they're waving their arms and hollering at you about, Look in the hand that's behind their backs because what they're trying to do is hide the fact that they're guilty of what they're accusing somebody else for doing. That's a true sign. And how much of that are we living through every day now in this administration and in this time? The Democrat Party is imploding. It is so fragmented. There are so many different ideologies that comprise it. Normally, here's what we always had. We had moderate Democrats and we had far-left Democrats. That was it. And now there are at least five, six, maybe seven or eight different segments that all believe some variation. Oh, by the way, there's one segment that is totally gone now. It used to be one of the two, moderates. There are no moderate Democrats anymore. All the moderates that had been there, many of them for years, they've either moved over to the GOP or they're stuck in the middle and they're identifying as independents. 
Think about that. The independents are growing dramatically. Why would that be? They're not leaving the Republican Party. They're leaving the Democrat Party in droves. Now, at the top of the show today, I told you we've got a horrible subject that I debated for a long time of uh, getting into. I put it off for weeks. I prayed about it. But it's time to bring it forward. And after this break... I'm going to jump right into it. It has to do with the story that went live this morning at TNN Live. And uh, many of you, I'm sure you haven't read it yet. We'll have thousands that will read it before the day's over. But if you haven't, don't go looking at it now. I'm going to tell you the story in just a minute. The title of it is Sex Transition Surgery. Is it science or butchery? We're going to go that deep. Sit tight. Our next Starbucks customer is Ron. Hello. Strictly espresso, in and out, except during the Christmas season. Uh, I have a list. When he turns into uh, Santa. A venti, iced white mocha, triple shot. He's getting stickers for the new Starbucks uh, Philippines uh, planner. Grande toffee nut latte. It's made by Moleskine? Wow, right? Venti green tea cream frappuccino. Hey, uh, you got all the stickers. No, no, it's for my wife. I, I understand. The 2016 Starbucks Philippines Planner by Moleskine. Promo runs November 2 to January 7, 2016. For DTI FTEB SBD permit number 10616, series of 2015. Whether holding down the fort or bouncing back to school, childhood is always in session. So keep feeding us right with sun-made snacks, just like when you were a kid. Remember their naturally sweet raisins? Yep, still delicious. And so are Sunmate's other snacks, like creamy yogurt-covered raisins, sour raisin snacks that taste like sour candy with no added sugar, and Sunmate's new s'mores and birthday cake bites. All delicious, all made with whole fruit. Sunmade snacks. Cars today are computers on wheels. That's it. Uh, the fancy new tech makes our life easier in the car, but... When something breaks, can you afford to fix the touchscreen display or the sensor, which can cost thousands of dollars? Most likely, no. That's why I have CarShield, and it takes away the worry and the panic of the expensive repair that you know is coming. CarShield, their protection plans can save you thousands for covered repairs, including everything from an engine, transmission, GPS, electronics, and more. You can have your favorite mechanic or dealership do the work, and CarShield takes care of the rest. They also offer complimentary roadside assistance and a rental car. It's inevitable something's going to break. It happens to everybody, including me. So get coverage from America's number one auto protection company like I did and find out why CarShield cars go farther. Rates are as low as $99 a month, so visit carshield.com. Use the promo code iHeart to save 10%. That's carshield.com, promo code iHeart. Deductible may apply. Oh, a little mellow there. They just don't do songs like this anymore, do they? Temptations, just my imagination. Well, let's get out of the peaceful, easy feeling here and get into some really difficult conversational topics. And uh, this is going to be uncomfortable. I got to be honest with you. So let me lead you into it. This story that we published this morning, sex transition surgery, is it science or butchery? I struggled desperately and trying to determine whether to publish this story or not. Why was it such a critical decision? The story's context is so controversial and so political. 
while being so horrible at the same time, I question if its realities are too shocking for you, our loyal followers. I certainly prayed about this decision, and prayer is where I got my answer. Here's what I got in prayer. People need to know the truth, the entire truth of this matter too. So what's so critical that we would consider not publishing it? It exposes the underbelly of the current social norm being pushed on young children by trying to normalize something anti-science while claiming the opposite is true. And the lies of this transgenderism and sex change surgeries are today portrayed by many as the science and as normal. Transgender surgery to change the biological sex of a human being is not scientific. And oh, by the way, cannot change the gender of any human being. That's the science. So if you're squeamish or you don't care to hear what actually happens to a human being when one of these operations is foisted on young boys and girls, please rethink your decision to proceed with listening to this story or even reading it on the website. If you want to know the truth of transgender surgery, you need to read and you need to listen. And even more importantly, you need to share it with others. By the way, this missive was written by an insider at a hospital in Oregon that has become the go-to facility for gender transition surgery. Now, before we do the story, there's a, there's a host on MSNBC, Chris Hayes. He is, I don't know his politics. I don't know his sexual preferences. I don't know much about him, but I heard what you're about to hear from him. And it was when Florida passed a law And it was signed into law. The bill passed both houses of the Florida legislature. Governor Ron DeSantis signed it into law a few weeks ago. And it's about preventing trans mutilations of kids' bodies. And the parents have sole responsibility to do it. But the government under this law is not going to let it happen. It's illegal even if parents want to. Listen to this tirade by Chris Hayes about this new bill. Here is Muppet Man Chris Hayes. He's very, very upset because here in Florida, we are not going to allow for genital mutilation of children. And this is very upsetting to this human Muppet. Enjoy. Now, the sick irony here, the one that I just can't get over and really kind of sticks with me, is that the right-wing movement that gave us this new law signed yesterday is the very same group of people that screamed about parental rights for years amidst the pandemic. I get to say whether my kid wears a mask. I get to say whether my kid gets vaccinated. I get to say whether my kid goes to school. And Ron DeSantis was the public face of that movement. That very same wing of the Republican Party embodied by Ron DeSantis and the government of the state of Florida has now demanded and produced a situation in which the government, that guy you saw there with the tough guy swagger about freedom, is going to decide if your child, who lives in your home, 
that you gave birth to or raised that you love your kid, what kind of care they can get. He decides. Care that, to be clear, the American Academy of Pediatrics supports and recommends. Think about what this means. That is what the courage to be free means. Freedom means that in my household, our family decides what kind of health care our child does or does not get. Not Ron DeSantis, not the Republican Party. Oh, Muppet Man, let me clean this up for you. First off, you and everyone that watches MSNBC and all your network cohorts and the entire Democrat Party basically were for mandates. You were for kids being forced to be injected with things, whether it was uh, with their parents' permission or not. That's number one. So you're, you're a complete hypocrite, but I get that hypocrisy is dead in 2023. Uh, the other part of this is we are talking about mutilating children's genitals, destroying their God-given body, okay? And we know that there is a social contagion element to this, meaning that suddenly, it's not as if suddenly, out of nowhere, uh, that we get all of these mostly girls that want to transition to be boys. There is a social component. It has something to do with TikTok and the internet and social pressures and all of these things. Now, we had a debate uh, before we did the show today uh, because there was a picture of a girl, biological girl, who posted what her post-op, meaning post-trans surgery looks like. And we had a debate whether we were gonna post the picture and ultimately we decided not to because it is so profoundly upsetting and disturbing and everything else that we didn't wanna put it up. We also thought that YouTube might just take down the stream altogether and give the channel a strike. So we did not put it up, but if you want to see what it looks like when a, when a young girl, a 15-year-old girl gets the surgery, what they literally do is they take muscle tissue and skin and they take that from her thigh to create, I mean, it's, this is just so unbelievably awful, to then create a penis that is not a penis. It does not look like a penis. It does not function like a penis. It has no sexual utility or anything else. Uh, if you want to see the image that's going around the internet right now, uh, Ashley St. Clair who I've had on the show once or twice. She did tweet it. She put it up with a warning. So you actually have to click through the warning to see it. It's at St. Clair Ashley, S-T-C-L-A-I-R-A-S-H-L-E-Y, at St. Clair Ashley. If you want to see that image, we just decided not to put it up. Uh, but that these people are so for this is so insane. So there you have a version, an opinion, and kind of like, what we wrote about today. So let me let me get right to it. Just some brief history. Following the French Revolution, the British philosopher Edmund Burke signaled a note of caution to the world, warning that the desire for progress, uninhibited by convention, can lead and often does to disaster. Revolutions in the name of lofty ideals, liberty, equality, science, can yield their opposites and do in many cases. A revolution in our time merits similar consideration. The transformation of human sexuality, particularly the rise of so-called transgender medicine. So let me weigh into this. This gender surgery program at Oregon Health and Science University, which is a public teaching hospital in downtown Portland, 
provides a productive tableau for us to analyze. The program is led by Blair Peters, a self-described queer surgeon who sports neon pink hair, uses he-they pronouns, and specializes in vaginoplasty, which is the creation of an artificial vagina, phalloplasty, the creation of an artificial penis, and non-binary surgeries, which nullify the genitals altogether. Peters and his colleagues have pioneered the use of a vaginoplasty robot which helps efficiently castrate male patients and turn their flesh into a neo-vagina. And business is booming. According to Peters, OHU's Gender Surgery Clinic has the highest volume on the West Coast, and his robot-assisted vaginoplasty program can accommodate two patients every day. His colleague named Jean Burly, who specializes in phalloplasty, boasts a 12 to 18 month waiting list for a consultation and an additional three to six month waiting list for a surgical appointment. This openness marks a revolution in manners and morals. In the past, transgender theorists acknowledged that their surgical transformations were disturbing and what they termed anti-normative. I find a deep affinity between myself as a transsexual woman and the monster in Mary Shelley's Frankenstein that was written according to the male-to-female transgender theorist Susan Stryker back in 1994. She said, I will say this as bluntly as I know how. I am a transsexual and therefore I am a monster. Her views no longer prevail. I mean, it's become a norm in this society. Today's transgender medical providers, they conceal the barbarity of their practices in euphemisms. They are not postmodern Dr. Frankensteins, but providers of, quote, life-saving, gender-affirming care. That term is theirs, not necessarily reality. The model patient is no longer the middle-aged autogenophile, but a troubled teenager sold a brand new identity mediated through technology that promises to resolve deep-seated sexual anxieties. And, maybe more importantly and more real, advance the political cause of transgender activists. The dismal metaphysics that lies between OHSU's castration machines is academic queer theory. Academic queer theory holds that human beings are mere vehicles of performativity and that their nature can be molded and reshaped at will. In other words... Queer theorists argue that no human nature cannot be transcended or even obliterated through the application of culture and science. OHSU's castration machines must be seen in this light. The university's doctors and surgeons, they believe that they can harness 
the advances of modern medical science to sublate the basic categories of human sexuality and replace them with a variety of synthetic forms. The artificial phallus, the artificial vagina, the dual phallus vagina, or simply the nullification of both. The technique for robot-assisted vaginoplasty, it's gruesome. According to a handbook published by OHSU, surgeons first cut off the head of the penis and removed the testicles. Then they turned the penile scrotal skin inside out and together with abdomen cavity tissue, fashioned it into a crude artificial vagina. The robotic arms are put through small incisions around your belly button and the side of your belly, the handbook reads. They are used to create the space for your vaginal canal between your bladder and rectum. The illustrated surgical literature is a catalog of horrors. And there are hyperlinks in this story that you can get today at truthnewsnet.org that will allow you to click on them and go to the materials with photographs and see for yourself. Please be careful if you're around children when you look at these. Let's move on. This procedure is plagued with complications. OHSU warns of wound separation, tissue necrosis, graft failure, urine spraying, hematoma, blood clots, vaginal stenosis, rectal injury, fistula, and fecal accidents. Patients are required to stay in the hospital for a minimum of five days following a procedure, receiving treatment for surgical wounds, and having fluid drained through plastic tubes. Once they go home, patients must continue on transgender hormone treatments and manually dilate their surgically created neo-vagina in perpetuity, in other words, forever. Otherwise, the tissue will heal and the cavity that they just made will close. One question provokes particular dread. Are the surgeons at OHSU using these machines on children? The answer? Yes. In an interview, Peters acknowledged that in recent years, he's seen, quote, a lot of adolescents presenting for surgical intervention, and that he has performed genital surgeries, including the robot-assisted vaginoplasty, on a handful of puberty-suppressed adolescents. Peters further stated that OHSU is just putting its first series together related to adolescent vaginoplasty and that no one has published on it yet. And when reached for comment, OHSU declined to respond. All this grisly detail is obscured through manipulative language. To the general public, Peters and his colleagues present their case in therapeutic terms like gender, affirmation, trauma, care, health, joy, and they wrap themselves in the movement's light blue, pink, and white flag. By comparison, the old transgender theorists were more honest. They saw themselves in Frankenstein, and in their struggle to overcome natural limits, 
that brushed against them. We can return to Burke for one final word. Besides his analysis of revolution, Burke's other major contribution to the history of ideas was his theory of the sublime. The sublime, he argued, did not stimulate love, but terror. Terror, the vast darkness, the brewing storm, the dangerous tyrant, all elicited a complex reaction of astonishment and fear, especially that of human finitude. Transgender surgery provokes a similar sentiment. Awe of the mechanical mastery, horror at the raw human barbarism. But when the haze of emotions pass, the true nature of these interventions is revealed. They are a work of pure hubris, part of a scientific revolution that has sought to transcend all moral bounds and honestly has left science behind. The revolution's works, like Dr. Frankenstein's, will inevitably leave behind a profound human tragedy. I hate, I hate to find it necessary to even have this conversation, let alone to bring this story that came from the leading, at least West Coast, institution that is in mass numbers performing these transgender, and there's no such thing as transgender You can't change the gender of a human being. The only way that can be changed is to change chromosomes, and that is a scientific impossibility. No scientist questions that, but they still want to call it science. And yeah, I got a little amped up about it. I have six grandkids. I can't even bear to think about one of my six grandchildren, four boys and two girls. I can't even bear to think about them having to deal with that. And the thought just tears me up. But there are thousands and hundreds of thousands and more. That may, I may be way off of the number. I do know this, the numbers are growing daily, daily. So what what are we going to do about it? What can we do about it? Anything? One thing we can do, two things. One, we can talk to those in authority over us in our states and in our local areas We can get our kids in a place where they can be taught to understand this faux transgenderism that's sweeping their worlds. But we can pray. Pray for your children. Pray for our society and pray for our leaders. We've got to. Real Truth. Real News. TNN. The Truth News Network. I'm a Verizon engineer, and today we're turning on 5G across the country, including right here in New York City. 
With the coverage of 5G nationwide and in more and more cities, the unprecedented performance of ultra-wideband. It will change your phone and how businesses do everything. I'm proud because we didn't build it the easy way. We built it right. This is the 5G America's been waiting for. Only from Verizon. 5G ultra-wideband available only in parts of select cities. 5G nationwide available in 1,800 plus cities. So, Miss Harris, what makes you think you're a good fit with us here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, sir, there are so many reasons. I specialized in research and theoretical studies for several years at the Southampton Institute, mm-hmm. preceded by intensive graduate studies at Syracuse. <laughs> Certainly, my skills are well-suited for a position here at Schmidt, Starks, and Sopransky? Oh, thanks. A job interview and a root canal on the same day. Want to get away? Get the heck out of there with Southwest Airlines. Fly coast to coast for $99 or less by November 3rd. It was nice meeting you, sir. Yes, we'll get back to you soon. Soon. Southwest Airlines, a symbol of freedom. Call 1-800-IFLY-SWA. Telling the truth, the mainstream media doesn't want you to hear. Dan Newman, TNN, the Truth News Network. Again, here's Dan. I uh, I can't leave this story without giving you one specific example of the bridge that people are taking, adults are taking to start spinning this transgenderism debacle to your kids. A dad's tirade over a doctor's question to his adolescent sons set him on fire and chalked up over 10 million views despite leftist claims that it never happened. Gender ideologues, they've increasingly endeavored to normalize gender dysphoria and seemingly encourage more and more kids to question where they fall on a sexual identification spectrum. Republican state delegate and president of the Texas Freedom Coalition, a woman named Sarah Fields, and yes, I can call Sarah a woman, she is. It drew attention to one such incident Saturday when she shared a video of a father from New York as an example of, quote, why I homeschool. This is Sarah. She said, this is an example of why I homeschool and why I make sacrifices to pay for a private family practitioner or doctor. So is this, in this video, is this man explained, heated, he explained. His wife had taken their two sons to the doctor for what should have been nothing more than a routine physical, only for them to be subjected to transgenderism pseudoscience when one of the boys was asked if he was a boy, a girl, or something else. The dad said this, and I'm going to have to leave a few words out, but I'm going to quote him otherwise. Quote, I'm literally on fire right now. I just got off the phone with my wife who took my nine and seven-year-old boys to the doctor today to get physicals to play tackle football and school next year and all that other SHIT. He could be heard explaining. My nine-year-old son went in first, and the first thing this woman, this doctor, asked him is if he identifies as a boy, a girl, gender fluid, or (laughs) non-binary. A nine-year-old son, do you think he understands those those terms? I don't know. This guy continued, my son, he's never heard of any of that before, 
Father railed on before leveling into the unidentified medical doctor, likely the family pediatrician. You've been dealing with him your whole life. He's clearly a boy's boy. So what are you trying to plant a F-word seed in his head? While many applauded the father for speaking out against such madness, others continued to deny the latest example of this widespread ideology. How can anybody deny it's out there and that it is really being foisted on the young people in America and around the world, we understand? Dismissal of the facts couldn't change the reality that activist doctors have been working to increase the availability of so-called gender-affirming care and medical school training to expand the prevalence of chemical castration and genital mutilation we just talked about under the guise of health care. Though where in New York the father in the video was from wasn't specified, Dr. Lauren T. Roth, an attending physician at the Children's Hospital at Montefiore in Bronx, New York, and professor of pediatrics at the Albert Einstein College of Medicine, had promoted these ideas, and more, as she claimed in part, it honestly starts at birth, or even before birth, she said. The only thing I could be thankful for is that my wife took them instead of me, this father said. And props to my wife, because she said something. And if she didn't, they would have asked my seven-year-old son the same damn question. This SHIT is ridiculous. And to the people out there to think that there's nothing wrong with that and I'm just a transphobe or all that stuff, you're blank, blank up, he railed. This is BS, and there's something wrong with you. Rational minds outnumbered the detractors and shared their support, while some suggested parents reach out to their own doctors and find new ones if similar questions are being asked. This, my friends, is real, and it is getting to epic proportions. Don't minimize this in your home, and if you haven't yet, Sit down with your children. I don't care if they're already teenagers. Sit down with them and have the conversation about this. And if you're concerned about the language, the terminology, if your kid's more than seven or eight years old, listen, I promise you they've heard every word. They know everything there is to know about sex. Maybe not the real versions of it, but they've heard all of the terminology. It's amazing what our kids are being exposed to today with iPhones, with iPads, with computers, and with the things that are broadcast that they're looking at and listening to. They know more by the time they're seven-year-olds than I knew when I went to college about sex and everything to do with it. And I'm not exaggerating. Wow, we got to change this narrative today. This is getting out of hand, and uh, it makes me really uncomfortable to talk about. So what else is out there? Is there anything that we can say is positive about this? You know who Jordan Peterson is? He's a doctor. He's a Canadian, originally a Canadian, and he spends a lot of time in the U.S., but he, he every time he gets out in the public, 
he's a great speaker and he speaks very specifically about very controversial issues. And he recently got into a conversation before a bunch of people. There was one person sitting up front with him and um, Dr. Peterson answered the question, how did we in the United States, how did we turn into giving up conservatives and conservatism to leftists for them just to take over? And make no mistake about it, you're going to hear him confirm this. He thinks in some cases certain institutions in the United States are gone. We're not getting them back from the left. I'll tell you a story about what what changed my political thinking when I was very young. When I was 16, 13 to 16, I worked with a socialist party in the province of Alberta, which is where I grew up. And and I, I, I was fortunate enough to know the leader of the Socialist Party in in my province, home province of Alberta, who was the only opposition member of parliament in the whole province. It was like 36 conservatives and one socialist. And the only reason the people in my home district voted for this man was because he was a good man. He was a labor leader. And most of the socialists at that time in Canada were former labor leaders. And they did stand at least in part for the genuine interests of the working class. Anyways, I worked with them for a few years. Uh, I got disenchanted in part because when I went to the conventions of the party, I met the radical types, and they were the same as they are now. And, like, they just, I thought, what the hell's up with you people? You're just bitter and resentful. Like, you claim to be caring for the poor, but that's just a lie. You're just bitter and resentful. And you think morality consists of praying in public, right? It's like you hold a sign that says, I'm against poverty. It's like, well, who the hell isn't against poverty? You know, that's not a, I'm for poverty. It's like, you know, you know, more homeless. So, because it makes me feel better by comparison. It's like, nobody thinks that. Nobody thinks that. And so that set up a cognitive dissonance in my imagination. I thought, well, if this end of the political distribution has the moral upper hand, why the hell is it producing all these resentful activists? And now, well, that's a question that we're asking ourselves in spades now. But then I was nominated, I served on the board of governors of this little college that I went to, Grand Prairie Regional College, and uh, all of the people who were on the board were people, I presume people like you, they were all owners of small businesses and they'd been successful. And the towns that I grew up in in northern Alberta were like 50 years old. You know, they'd just been scraped out of the prairie. It was the last of the frontier. And everyone there was an immigrant. So most of the people who had started these small businessmen were immigrants who came there with nothing and built something. And even though I didn't share their political views, I found them individually admirable. And I also found that the same applied to the small businessmen that I worked for at that point. You know, I thought well, you've actually done something with your life, you know, and you're, there's a solidity there, a productive solidity. Exactly. And so it was at that point that I realized I didn't know anything and just stopped working on the political front altogether. I decided at that point to become a psychologist rather than a lawyer or, or a politician, which is kind of where I was heading at, at that point in my life. And I realized that I realized that it was the people who had built productively that had the moral upper hand. They might not have been very good at expressing their ethos intellectually or explicitly, but in terms of their character, they had, they had established a victory. And I think this is actually the problem on the conservative front. 
broadly across the world is that they're people of solid character, but they're not good at articulating the foundations of their ethos. And then when the radical leftists come along and take them apart ethically, they don't know what to do. They, they throw up their hands. Because, I mean, think about it this way. If someone comes up to you on the street and says, justify marriage. And you think, well, I've, I thought we sorted that out like 25,000 years ago. <laughs> you don't know what to say. You have no idea how justified marriage. You know, a lot of the things we do in our life that are ethical, we do, we act out. We don't think through. Like, I presume the vast majority of you put up a Christmas tree. Well, you have no idea why. You know, like, and if someone, anthropologist, came over to your house and said, well, why do you put up a Christmas tree? You'd say, well, everyone does it. Something like that, and it's beautiful, and it's part of a tree. But you have no idea why. I mean, there are reasons for the Christmas tree. That's a place where you put the light that shines in the dark darkness at the darkest time of the year. And that light signifies, in the Christian tradition, that light signifies Christ, and that signifies the service of the highest to the lowest. And you're acting that out, but you don't know it. And when you're married, you're acting out a very deep ethos as well. And you don't know what it is, and, but everyone's agreed on it. And a lot of your conservative virtues are things that everybody's already agreed on. And so when an intellectual comes along and says, justify that, you don't know what the hell to say. And then you can be picked apart. You know, well, isn't, the, isn't your ideal of marriage, heterosexual, long-term, stable, child-centered couples, isn't that exclusionary? And isn't the exclusion wrong? Well, you think, well, exclusion, yeah, well, that's wrong, and uh, well, I don't know. And then you're guilty. And it isn't because you're wrong, it's just that you don't know how to articulate that traditional value. And, well, and that's a huge problem, that's a huge problem, but that doesn't mean you're wrong. And, and the same thing applies on the profit front. It's like, it's hard to articulate why that's acceptable. Also, because it does seem like if you're generating profit, it's obviously the case that that can be used by you for narrow personal reasons, right? You can, buy a, you can buy a yacht and fill it with supermodels and cocaine if you want. And, and that, but people don't. And most wealthy people in the United States, by the way, are like you. They're, they're, they're the owners of not immense businesses, you know, small to moderate businesses. And they're very conservative in their consumerist habits and careful in their distribution of their resources. They're not like... Hollywood hedonists, you know, or, or, or the, the Wall Street psychopath types. Not that all Wall Street people are psychopath types, but you know, the kind that are parodied in movies. You know, pe you're people who are very careful with your capital and you live moderately. That's also a sign of that ethos, but it's hard for conservatives to articulate that. Doesn't mean you're wrong. and It doesn't mean that you should be guilty. So One of the ways you combat those kinds of things, if you don't have, number one, don't have to have an argument. You just have to be right and just keep moving. Yeah. But the, uh, I, I don't have to defend. I don't have to enter into that conversation. Like, yeah, you're a nut and I'm moving on. Yeah, you well, know, but the, the, partly we're in a situation where you probably do have to learn to articulate it because what's happening is that that central ethos, that traditional ethos, even voluntary exchange, it's under such vicious attack that if you don't learn to defend it and articulate it, it's going to be taken from you. And that probably means, I suspect that means that each of you is going to have to think to some degree about how to involve yourself in at least the local political landscape. It's like, you know what the school boards are doing, or maybe you don't and you should. I mean, these, these low-level 
political positions have been occupied by radical types. And the only real solution to that is to take them away and occupy them with people who have some sense. And the problem is you probably have something better to do. <laughs> but but it is, doesn't matter because at the moment, if you abdicate that responsibility, then the radicals are going to take it and then they're going to take what you have. That already happened in the universities. We abdicated our responsibility as professors and the radicals took the, ed the institutions from us. And as far as I'm concerned, they're gone. We're not getting them back. They're done. So what happened in the universities is the administration took over the faculty. The faculty retreated 3,000 steps. The administration took over the faculty. And then the DEI radicals took over the administration. And the same thing's happening on the corporate front. And the way that you're enabling that, I don't know how relevant this is to everyone in the room, but you hire an HR person, you hire a DEI consultant, you start playing that game maybe to keep the critics off your back, they will take you out. Don't do that. That's a big mistake. You think, well, you know, we have to play the public relations game. We have to look like we're appeasing the radicals. You, do, you can't appease a snake. It's a big mistake. You can't appease the snake. It's a big mistake. Now, you're going to remember some of the stuff you just heard Dr. Peterson say. And for you to go grab that soundbite shortly after this show ends up today, it's going to be posted on 37 different podcast hosting sites, places like Google and Stitcher and TuneIn and Apple, Spotify, your favorite place. Go grab that, and you can take that soundbite very easily out of that and share it with friends. He hit on the most amazing and probably the most important thing in your political life from today going forward. If you remember correctly, we look back at the 2020 election, and you can't even say what I'm about to say. You'll be neutered in pretty much every way possible. In fact, some people would like to neuter you biologically just for saying this. And so I don't get in big-time trouble. I'm going to whisper it. There was cheating in the 2020 election, and the left have kept the conservatives from talking about it by telling us that if we talk about it, we're nothing but a MAGA Republican. Don't question that we haven't quieted down about it. Look around you, everywhere. There is no question, did you by chance see the movie, the documentary 2000 Mules? It was 100% scientific proof by one of the largest companies on the planet, the most experienced companies on the planet, who access to and did amazing in-depth computer analysis of the spread of the election votes that were being done by mail-in balloting. And they went one step further. They posted in two different states, Pennsylvania and Georgia, they posted secretly cameras that ran activated by motion 24-7 at ballot drop boxes. And the same people over and over and over again during weeks before this election, even election day, 
they were bringing in bundles of mail-in balloting and stuffing them in these ballot boxes, which is illegal. It's against the law. So after 2,000 Mules, I saw the documentary. I actually ran a couple of interviews coming out of the theater that I recorded from people that were in the theater that Marianne and I were in when we saw the the movie, the documentary, and the consensus was plain. This is just crazy. They really cheated in the election. Now, of course, the answers are immediately, oh, that's just a a far-right company organization that did this, and it was a Hollywood production. There's no way to prove any of that stuff. That was the way they went. But what is uncontroverted, Democrats have created a process and have made it by state legislatures in dozens of states now, mail-in voting is legal. Meanwhile, what have we conservatives done? We've just sat back on our heels and we're saying, that's not fair. They cheated. Unless we decide that we organize and put in place the same processes to promote legal ballot, mail-in balloting, assisting people with their mail-in ballots pursuant to the individual state laws and where you live. If we don't activate that, you watch what's happening in 2024. They got busted on many, many, many ways. They got busted. I'm going to let you listen to a soundbite in just a minute. And it's, it's another one from one of those lefty outfit, outfits. This one is MSNBC. In fact, I'll, I'll let you listen to it now. Let me give you the little preview of what it is. It's a group of three people, and they're talking about the pending prosecution of Donald Trump for his January 6th wrongdoing and the investigation by the special counsel. And you got to remember, you're listening to... Three very hard left people. I don't know the name of the woman that is the anchor for MSNBC on that, but the two experts are one's named Jill Wine Banks. Wine Bank Banks. She's an MSNBC contributor. And then Barbara McQuaid is listed as a legal analyst. Now, I have, I have no idea what that means. Somebody is a MSNBC contributor and the other one is a legal analyst and that gives them the right to break down exactly what's going on in the investigation of the orange man, that evil guy, that he is responsible for the insurrection and the rioting and the death of dozens of people on January 6th. They're still claiming that. Listen to what they have to say and listen to what they have to say about the election from 2020. Jill, let's start with Jack Smith digging into that off the rails Oval Office meeting. What does it tell you about where he is with the January 6th investigation and the dots that he's trying to connect? I would say that he is making very speedy progress and that I would anticipate another indictment from him about January 6th, and that he is investigating all of the elements 
You know, we keep saying January 6th, but besides the incitement that may have happened that day and the riot at the Capitol, you have weeks before that and weeks after that of illegal activities that threaten our democracy. And that's very important to be looked at. So he's looking at the fake elector scheme, at the fake legal theories and all the false um, lawsuits that were filed with the possibility of naming Sidney Powell and um, special prosecutor. It's so ridiculous and so dangerous to our democracy that I hope that he has a speaking indictment and soon so that people will learn the facts. Right, so they can actually narrate out what has happened here. Barb, Miles Taylor's book, it recounts an instance where, where then-President Trump, in office, displayed documents with intel on Jamal Khashoggi's death while in the West Wing. And in the docs indictment, he's accused of showing classified information to unauthorized people after he was president. My question to you, Barb, is legally speaking, what is the distinction between those accusations, between doing it while in office and after he had left? When he's in office, the president does have the ability to share classified information. Uh, you know, technically, he should declassify it first. He should make sure the intelligence community signs off on that and it gets communicated to everybody. But because he's the president and he's the head of the executive branch, it's not really a crime for him to do that. But I still think this is a significant factor that could be used at the trial. There's a rule of evidence called Rule 404B that talks about prior bad acts. And so to the extent Jack Smith wants to show that Donald Trump is extremely reckless in the way he handles classified information, it could be admissible to show his modus operandi, or his absence of mistake. So that there, there are still ways for uh, prosecutors to use things, even if it is not part of the charges of the case. Right, to build out a pattern of behavior. Jill, this week, Trump's appeal over Mike Pence's January 6th testimony was dismissed. Trump was pressing the appeal, even though Pence already testified. So help us understand, what did he really expect to get out of that fight? Delay. I think all of the things that he does now are based on trying to delay any consequences for himself. The evidence that we've seen publicly, and I'm assuming that there's far more evidence that we haven't seen that will be shown to a jury, is very compelling. It is very incriminating. And so if he ever goes to trial, then he will end up being at best having a hung jury. I mean, everybody's afraid that there'll be a MAGA person on the jury who won't vote to convict him. But I guarantee you, he will never be acquitted by any jury that listens to the evidence. So everything he does is just to put off the inevitable trial that will come. And I don't think he's going to get away with it. I think that there will be trials before the end of this year. And so before the real um, season of primary starts, there will be a verdict. I don't know where these women get the stuff that we just heard them share. I'm, I don't know anybody that is more in tune with everything, especially the egregious stuff that's going on in our political system today than me. My wife will tell you, I'm consumed by it just because of this show and the stories on our website. I'm consumed by this stuff. It's critical. It's important. And here we are starting a new week to get together, Monday. And did you listen closely to what those women said? There was no question in either of their minds 
that Donald Trump is guilty and he is guilty for everything negative that happened on January 6th and subsequent to that. Oh, there were many illegal things that happened after January 6th. And the last woman, the one that you heard, she not only told us that he's guilty of a multitude of issues, but that there is going to be a trial. And she said there was going to be a trial and a verdict before the end of this year. Now, wait a minute. (laughs) It's the 10th of July. They haven't even done discovery yet. This quote-unquote legal expert, does she have any idea in federal court the process that you go through when you want the, let's say, the FBI, the DOJ to turn over documents that verify things and answer questions in your case against a sitting president? Do they have any idea of how exhaustive the discovery process is to get all of that stuff that you got to have before you can even ask for a trial date, let alone have a trial. Look at what's happened that we're seeing happen right now. Congress, not a, a court, but the U.S. Congress is asking for specific documents from people in the Biden administration, some in the uh, in uh, the different branches of government, the heads of like Homeland Security and even the Treasury Department and the FBI, they can't get any responses. They can't get the documents. And in many cases, they can't even get them to respond to them and tell them what they're willing to do or not to do. Can you imagine? Imagine on both sides, the prosecution and the defense of President Trump if this turns into a trial. First of all, let me just say this. None of this. That's absurd to think that there would even be a trial before the end of this year, let alone a verdict before 1231 this year. There won't be a trial before the 2024 election. And there certainly wouldn't be results if there is a trial before 2024 and before the election. It's going to take forever And we know this factually. Every one of us know this. You may not think about it, but you will now. If there are any criminal acts, I mean uncontroverted criminal acts that were perpetrated on the part of Donald Trump, you and I would know everything about them even if they weren't factual, but there was something to them that would be a buzz that could generate hatred, more hatred, and more angst for Donald Trump. It would be leaked to the press and we would be getting daily stories about it. But they aren't there. All we get are the summations and the pontifications of people like you just heard from these experts. And what are they trying to do? They're not trying to bring the news to any of us. They're trying to amp up the hatred and the anger and keep it going, keep it roiling. And just a side note, tomorrow, Tuesday, Steve Baker's going to be with us. Uh, I'm not sure what our topic's going to be, but he obviously has been 
deep into a really, really egregious issues, multiple ones that have come up. Facts. Go figure. Facts and truth that totally negate a lot of what we've been told, most of what we've been told. And it is going to implicate a lot of people in Washington, D.C., his words at the highest levels of government. Pretty sure he'll get into that. But when that stuff starts coming out, you're going to watch panels like you just heard on MSNBC and other networks. They're going to quietly go away. Hearing the truth certainly obliterates the lies that we've been conditioned with, doesn't it? I'm anxious to get moving. I'm ready for this to get out there and start throwing information, putting facts out in the marketplace of ideas and letting the American people see the facts for themselves so we can make our own determinations of what's false and what's true. That's going to start happening in August. Why August? That's when we start having Republican primary having these debates. There's going to be a lot that comes out in the next 45 days. As the sum of each generation before it, the next generation Corvette stands alone. As the new standard of precision and performance, of engineering and technology, of everything that makes an icon an icon. And a Corvette, a Corvette. Hey, Thirst, can I try out a few Coke summer sound effects on you? Yes. Cool. You okay with this? Yes. And this? Yes. And what about this? Gotcha there, Thirst. That wasn't sound effects. That was a Coke. I'm no longer thirsty. You're so out of here. Coca-Cola. Open happiness. Hi, it's Jamie, Progressive's Employee of the Month, two months in a row. Leave a message at the... Hi, Jamie. It's me, Jamie. I just had a new idea for our song about the Name Your Price tool. So when it's like, tell us what you want to pay, hey, 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 and the trombone goes, blah, 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 and you say, we'll help you find coverage options to fit your budget. Then we just all do finger snaps while a choir goes, savings coming at ya, savings coming at ya. Yes? No? Maybe? Anyway, see your practice tonight. I got new lyrics for the rap break. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Nowadays, it's more important than ever to know the value of a dollar, or three, or four, or five, or even six. New Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. Tasty breakfast combos that give you more bang for your bucks. Get a wake-up wrap with sausage and a medium-hot coffee for $3. A bagel with cream cheese spread and a medium-hot coffee for $4. A bacon, egg, and cheese croissant with a medium-hot coffee for $5. Or a power breakfast sandwich and, you guessed it, a medium-hot coffee for $6. Dunkin' Go-To's, now with brews. America runs on Dunkin'. Participation may vary. Exclusion supply, limited time offer. Don't get them girls loose, loose. Don't get the world loose, loose. You don't get money, Mr. Worldwide. But I do, I do. You don't get them girls loose, loose. You don't get the world loose, loose. You don't get money, But I do, I do. I think y'all having a good time out there. Oh my gosh, you don't hear many bumpers like that at TNN Live. 
Oh yeah, let's let's have a party. We're having a party. <laughs> I thought I'd throw that in there to wake you up. If you haven't got your head screwed on yet, it's Monday. You've got a week ahead of you. You got to get rolling. You got to get on, uh, get on tack, and be ready to go. Something came up over the weekend that I thought kind of tied into what you just heard from those three women talking about what happened January 6th and what happened in 2020. You heard the one uh, mention that uh, was talking about all of the leg- all of the uh, litigation that happened in the aftermath of the 2020 was all kicked out of court. It wasn't. There were a bunch of issues that came down that courts agreed with those who were saying there was cheating in the various states around the nation, but they don't want to accept or talk about any of that. Pennsylvania is a hotbed of questions about election stuff. The Pennsylvania General Assembly passed what's called Act 77, which is a voter reform act back in 2019. It brought new election procedures like no excuse mail-in voting and ballot drop boxes. Since then, These procedures have been the subject of a bunch of lawsuits around the state. And among them is a case of 14 Republican members of the Pennsylvania House of Representatives who are asking the court to overturn that act. Now, I'm not going to get into the nitty-gritty of all of this, but I just wanted to let you know what's out there. There are a lot of states that have awakened when it comes to legitimate legal ballot harvesting and the processes. And the Democrats were on top of it, whether it was all or as much as rampant illegal stuff as we, many of us, believe. And, of course, we still can't say that. We don't want to be labeled as MAGA conservatives. In November of 2022, the Pennsylvania Supreme Court ordered County Board of Elections not to count mail-in and absentee ballots received for the November 8, 2022 election if their return envelopes were undated or incorrectly dated. Why would they do that? Because that's the law that the legislature passed. The state Supreme Court explained why that relief was granted in its February 8, 2023 opinion, saying requiring a date in Act 77 was unambiguous and mandatory, which made any absentee and mail-in ballot returned in an undated envelope invalid. But in a couple of other cases, and I won't even give you the names, courts said undated ballots should be counted. The Third Federal Circuit Court said in what's called the Migliori case, not counting the ballots would be a violation of the Civil Rights Act. The U.S. Supreme Court later declared the case moot because the election was over and had been certified. I wonder why they dodged coming in and weighing in on that. In another case, they said, we agree with Migliori that this dating provision, if it were enforced as mandatory, that would violate the materiality provision of the Civil Rights Act of 1964. And therefore, federal law blocks the application of a mandatory dating requirement because effectively they're saying it isn't material enough to justify throwing out a vote. And therefore, under federal law, you're not allowed to do it. And that very clearly invalidated the application of the dating provision to any persons or circumstances in Pennsylvania. It reduced what was argued was a mandatory provision. And I'm telling you about this case 
in the context of what we just talked about, and it's been coming up from time to time in the past few weeks, and it will later this week, I promise you. There's a lot of conflagration going on and discussions on both sides of this conversation, and it will happen and continue to expand and grow as we get closer to 2024. You can bet on it. But what we need to know is when legislation at any level begins to be considered and bills put together and brought to these houses of legislation, state houses, houses and senates to be considered and voted on. It's the most, if not the most, one of the top two or three issues that any state legislation works on. Why is that? Because according to the U.S. Constitution, the states and the state legislators, the lawmakers, have sole responsibility and therefore sole authority to handle everything to do with the structure of the even federal elections that happen each state. Now, the Biden administration, actually before it was really all in, under Nancy Pelosi, former House Speaker, they tried to get the elections brought underneath to be operated totally by the federal government. That failed because it's unconstitutional, thank God. One would think, well, that would make the process so much easier. They would just operate it, and it would be one entity that would be handling everything, and we could monitor it and make sure everything was being done legally instead of having the looking at uh, 50 different states and their operations. Well, we're talking about a Democrat-controlled administration. Can you imagine the cheating and the behind-the-back stuff that would be happening to stuff ballots and to make sure that there was a permanent Democrat Party majority controlling all of government? And if you are in charge of every election in each of the 50 states and the territories, you make all the rules about elections, don't you? That means you also have sole authority on what you're going to process and what you're going to do and who you're going to do it to and who gets off scot-free. Wow. What a way to end the show this Monday. I want to thank you for being here today. And remember, I told you, Steve Baker's going to be with us tomorrow. He is every Tuesday in our second hour. And he's going to be bringing up new information. It's something you don't want to miss. He's one of our favorites here. So you guys have a great Monday. And until we get together again, clap a little bit. Tap your toe. How about? Come on. About to do it like this, about to do it like this, y'all. We will see you tomorrow. Have a great one from TNN Live. Take that from me. Hey. Oh, I feel
That's how I 